Welcome to the Mindful Medicine Podcast. I, Juliana Zapatel, will be your host, bringing in experts to discuss a holistic approach to well-being using Eastern philosophy and Western research. Johnny, a biopsychology student and meditation intern at UCSB, will join me in interviewing a special guest, Dr. Jonathan Schooler, a distinguished professor of psych and brain sciences at UC Santa Barbara and director of both the Meta Lab and UCSB's Center for Mindfulness and Human Potential. His research explores the nature of consciousness with a particular focus on mind wandering and mindfulness. I'm Jonathan Schooler. I'm a professor of psychological and brain sciences here at UCSB and director of the Center for Mindfulness and Human Potential. I have a long-standing interest in uh, consciousness, both uh, understanding and particularly the the flow of experience, the stream of consciousness, if it's oftentimes described, and mind-wandering in particular, but also mindfulness and how mindfulness actually can serve as an antidote uh, to mind-wandering. But also, more recently, I've begun to examine the possible positive uh, elements of mind-wandering and how it may particularly contribute to creativity. Cool, thank you. Um, I'm curious how you were introduced to and became interested into mindfulness and this type of research. Um, it was really sort of a confluence of things. Uh, part of it was my long-term, long-time interest in mind-wandering. When I was uh, in first grade, my first grade teacher began my report card as follows. She said, when I think of Jonathan, I imagine him at the end of the line five feet behind everybody else, shoes untied, totally preoccupied, and yet completely content. So I've been mind wandering uh, my my whole life. Uh, so it was sort of natural that um, I investigate mind wandering. And oftentimes they say that research is me search. And so I, you know, study what I was uh, most uh, intrigued by, most maybe afflicted by. Um, and mindfulness really, uh, clearly stood out as a as a as a as a powerful antidote uh to mind wandering and also i had the good fortune of having an outstanding graduate student michael morazic who um began working with me and that was really his passion so that really shifted our research towards not just mind wandering but more mindfulness and then also as a, a teenager uh, my father introduced me to Alan Watts and to Eastern religion. So I've had a long time interest in Eastern religion as well. That's awesome. Do you have a current meditation or mindfulness practice that you're doing in your day to day to combat some of your mind wandering? Yeah, I, my, I mind wander. I was going to say I mind wander uh, uh, several times a week. Uh, I mind wander every day and I meditate several times uh, a week. Typically, a simple breath focus uh, where I um, just watch the breath uh, and uh, when I catch my mind wandering as it oftentimes does, uh, gently bring it back to the anchor of my breath. Nice, that's great. Actually reminds me a lot of my practice as well. Um, I do a lot of lunchtime type of meditations, um, very similarly as well. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit on what you've studied and researched specifically to mindfulness? Sure. 
So uh, in uh, one initial study, we looked at the relationship between mind wandering and mindfulness. So there's, uh, we looked at the frequency with which people mind wander using uh, several different uh, measures of mind wandering. And particularly there's this very dull task known as the sustained attention to response task, where you have to press a button every time you see a number, except for the number three, which only occurs uh, rarely. So you just get, if you get into autopilot, just press the button every time you see a number. And if you mind wander, you'll press the button when you see the three. So it's a, it's a nice because it has a behavioral measure of mind wandering as well. And then in addition, we can probe people and go just now, were you mind wandering? And what we found was that um, when you just look at trait mindfulness, that the more mindful people were, the uh, less they mind wandered on this task. And then we did a just a 10 minute brief mindfulness intervention and found that that just with total novices that this 10 minute breath focus uh, reduced their mind wandering on this task. A subsequent study, we had a more elaborate training where we compared two weeks of mindfulness to two weeks of nutrition, randomly assigned people to the two conditions with a pretest and a post-test. And we found that the uh, mindfulness reduced uh, mind wandering on two different tasks, reading comprehension and working memory, and improved performance on those tasks relative to the nutrition class. And the improved performance on the working memory and reading task was at least partially due to the reduced mind wandering. So it seems that part of the reason why mindfulness improves performance is that it uh, keeps mind wandering at bay. We then did three very extensive um, six week mindfulness programs uh, and looked at the impact of these on a variety of uh, different uh, aspects, including well-being, again, mind wandering, and also various different cognitive measures, um, and also looking at brain activity. And we found that uh, six weeks of mindfulness uh, training, uh, along with exercise and other things, uh, changed the connectivity patterns um, in the brain. So that um, a region known as the default mode network, which has a, a hub, which is the posterior cingulate cortex, that that network was less connected to other uh, networks uh, when uh, people were in the scanner, basically suggesting that it was down-regulated. Uh, and in contrast, um, uh, other networks, the somatosensory cortex, which is uh, part of the, um, which is an attention to one sensory experience uh, was uh, increased uh, in connectivity. And these changes in connectivity were associated with changes in mindfulness uh, and with improvements in mindfulness and improvements in cognitive performance, suggesting that, that, that meditation is really down-regulating this mind-wandering network, up-regulating other networks, and uh, that is part of how it leads to its, its benefits with respect to um, reduced mind-wandering and improved performance. That's really interesting. I'm curious how you think your exposure to Eastern philosophy in childhood has maybe contributed to or affected some of your interest in this research or the way that you view the research? Yeah, well, um, it's it's made me think about mindfulness, not just from the perspective of this can be helpful 
to, you know, living with greater equanimity, but towards really thinking about the nature of consciousness, uh, the nature of the self, um, the relationship between the brain uh, and the mind, uh, and a whole lot of uh, sort of uh, really interesting, I think, uh, deep questions about how we relate to the mind. You know, mindfulness was part of a was introduced as sort of part of a uh, a larger uh, effort to understand <clears throat> uh, who we are and um, and then also, of course, to to reduce to reduce suffering. And uh, some of the insights about sort of the nature of the self or the perhaps the lack of the nature of the self that interest in Eastern religion has caused me to look at the research on mindfulness uh, and and more generally practice of meditation from a vantage of how it informs my understanding of the nature of mind. Yeah, that's really interesting. The crossroad of the research that's happening now with all of these like deep Eastern traditions. I think it's really awesome to combine that. Um, I'm curious if you have seen that it's considered normal for people's minds to wander. And if there's a change in that for someone who maybe has experienced trauma or someone with ADHD and you know like what is the degree of like normal mind wandering and like what how does that play a role in the research yeah so uh, increasingly we have come to appreciate that uh, mind wandering is just tremendously common I mean it's notable that the region that or the network that's associated with mind wandering, the default mode network is called the default mode, right? It's like mind wandering is kind of what the mind does, uh, you know, just left to its own devices. So we're, we're constantly sort of being drawn in by uh, internal uh, trains of thought, by current concerns, by, you know, essentially whatever is on our mind. Um, there are studies that estimate that 25 to even 50% of the day, people's minds are not, focused on what's going on around them, but are rather uh, engaged in uh, internal reflection. So it's it's ubiquitous. For sure, individuals who have attention deficit disorder mind wander uh, more often, but um, they also tend to be uh, quite creative. And as um, uh, maybe we can get to this, we find that one of the things that mind wandering seems to be helpful for, maybe one of the reasons why we mind wander so much is that it's associated with creativity and that a significant proportion of creative ideas happen during mind wandering. So we wouldn't want to eliminate mind wandering from our lives. What I think we would want to do is learn to be, um, to sort of be strategic to some degree in our mind wandering. So it's, it's fine to mind wander on a walk or while you're doing the dishes or driving for the most part, although, although there are some definite um, situations where you don't want to be mind wandering while driving. Um, but you don't want your surgeon mind wandering. You don't want your dentist mind wandering. Uh, you want your pilot to mind wander, you know, only, you know, when they're at the top, you know, and everything is on autopilot. So, uh, and when you're, taking a test you know not a good time to be uh to be mind wandering even though we find that people uh, do seem to mind wander at really inopportune times so part of the trick is uh learning 
to catch your mind wandering when it's likely to be problematic. We've talked in um, past episodes kind of the importance of using mindfulness and even the small daily things like going on a walk is like a great opportunity to be aware of your surroundings and breathing. And do you think there's some kind of importance to that as well? Because that may help somebody who tends to mind wander in other situations, like lessen that to a degree? Absolutely. Well, I think it's very important to take the practice of mindfulness, which is really developed during meditation, where you're really your number one thing that you're doing is learning to ground your anchor, your focus and uh, catch yourself when you leave that anchor and take that same discipline and apply it in, in other times in one's life, like when one is taking a walk or uh, any opportunity one can find to to build in uh, a bit of mindfulness. That said, and this I think is really um, sort of an open question, I think that uh, that sometimes at least, uh, letting your mind go, you know, on recess and just like go wherever it wants to go, unchaperoned without you like feeling that you have to watch it constantly every minute of every day, just sort of playfully letting it uh, go where it where it wants. Um, I think there may be value to that as well. I think it I think it's possible that in the extreme, uh, mindfulness could be heavy-handed, uh, and that the sort of sort of adding a light touch to it, and and not feeling like you have to just dogmatically watch your mind as carefully as you possibly can at every single moment of every single day. Um, but I think this is a really interesting question about exactly. Uh, how much, how vigilant we should be to be mindful at all possible times in the sense of uh, tracking where our mind is and deciding, you know, is this where I want my mind to be and and, and trying to hold an anchor at every moment. I think it's a really interesting uh, question that oh, I'm excited to explore. And I uh, also think that looking at how that relates to individual differences may be important. I think that, you know, some people, you know, they're just, they're just, really well suited to constantly being watching their mind and really just be mindful at every possible moment. My um, former student uh, and now um, uh, research director of the Center for Mindfulness Human Potential and also a um, assistant professor at UT Austin, Michael Mrazek, he is just incredibly disciplined. And every single moment you can just feel his grounded uh, mindfulness, the care with which he, you know, speaks every word and just, he's just always very, very present. Whereas, you know, um, I'm more the mind wandering type. I, you know, still really enjoy just letting my mind just go wherever, wherever it wants. And, you know, maybe I'm paying attention to it. Maybe I'm not. Um, again, I still think it's very important to enter in mindfulness and, and certainly, for example, in, in conversations and, and in, and um, in, in situations that demand my full presence, I really try to to create that. So I think there it's a really interesting question: um, how often we take our mindfulness skills and apply it in our everyday lives. And I think each person has to figure out the right balance for themselves. Thank you. Um, that was a great response. <laughs> I feel like I kind of related with a lot of 
what was being said and something came up. Um, I'm curious in stressful situations, has it been shown in research um, or with your personal experience that um, meditation or being focused on what you're paying attention to in stressful situations has been helpful before? Yeah. So we found that following our six week uh, mindfulness intervention um, that individuals were uh, when give, we gave them a stressful situation, they had to do a, a speech. Uh, and we found a whole variety of uh, different positive consequences of the uh, mindfulness intervention with respect to their ability both to uh, manage the stress so that they experienced less of it and they even gave better speeches. So um, yeah, mindfulness can be can be very helpful because it really helps us to catch ourselves when we're have when we're you know engaging in catastrophic thinking and really sort of generating a narrative that's beyond you know oh my god I can't believe this is going to happen I'm going to do you know just wait a minute that's just the inner chatter grounding into that um, understanding that not to believe everything you think. And and when you, when you get into that sort of panic mode, just reckon, you know, they're okay. There it goes again. My old friend, you know, the uh, scaredy pants. Uh, but I know I've got the capacity to do this. And then also learning to reappraise the um, energy that you feel uh, in uh, challenging situations as your body ramping up to really deliver as opposed to uh, shutting down and uh, freaking out. So I think there's a lot of um, equanimity that comes with mindfulness and ability to reframe situations, to recognize when your mind is getting out of control. And that helps to us to understand why we find and others have found that mindfulness really can help people uh, manage their stress and manage the uh, challenge of uh, particularly um, uh, challenging events. Yeah, that really resonates with me because I always had this strong view that like mindfulness is so important for everyone and we need to use it for everything. And I think it just comes from a place of someone who's experienced a lot of anxiety. So I need that to get out of that thought loop. Um, it's interesting that others, maybe that thought loop can actually be a creative outlet or, or go a different direction. That's not always negative and stressful. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious if you want to expand and explore that a little more of some of the upsides to this um, idea of mind wandering and where it can go. Sure. Well, let me just speak to the other thing. First. I mean, there's been research showing that if you have people give a speech and you either just tell them to ignore the stress or encourage them to reframe that as their body preparing to really deliver a, an outstanding job, that just giving them that reframe leads to a reduction in um the negative aspects of stress and, and to giving better talk. So um, the, the experience of uh, the sort of the sympathetic nervous system ramping up to get you prepared for something does not necessarily mean that you have to be, uh, that that's going to be problematic. It can be energizing. It can lead you to really 
you know, give it your all and get that adrenaline going. So just just recognizing that um, that experiencing that energy, energizing, energized state is not necessarily problematic is is important. Now, with respect to uh, mind wandering, basically the idea is that oftentimes our minds will drift away from the the here and now. And there are many examples in uh, science uh, and mathematics where individuals report uh, having breakthrough ideas when they were sort of mind wandering. So Poincaré, the famous mathematician, talks about how uh, a, a major insight about a mathematical formula struck him as he was stepping on a bus. Archimedes described how he came up with a way to calculate the uh, volume of the king's crown uh, while he was taking a bath. Um, and uh, Robert Towns, uh, the inventor of the laser, describes how the solution to uh, how to make a laser happen while he was admiring azaleas. So there are all these examples of situations where people are not necessarily actively pursuing a problem. They're just taking a shower or whatever, and, and some really important idea comes to them. And we did a study where we asked creative writers and creative physicists to indicate each day if they had an idea and when they had them. We found that about 20% of the ideas that they had the creative ideas that they had happened not when they were at their desk, not when they were actively pursuing the problem, but when they were taking a shower, when they were doing uh, chores. And these ideas were as creative as the ideas they had when they were actively pursuing the problem. And it's, you know, how many other things in life do you do as well when you're not even trying to do them as when you're actively pursuing the problem? And we also found that the ideas that they had while mind wandering were more likely to involve overcoming an impasse and more likely to involve an aha experience. So it seems like mind wandering may be especially helpful for the kind of problems that you need to sleep on, the kind of problems that um, uh, require some, what's known as incubation. And uh, we've also found that not all mind wandering is uh, created equal. So um, in a very famous paper that came out in one of the most eminent journals in all of science called Science, uh, researchers, um, Matt Killingsworth and Dan Gilbert, in a paper called A Wandering Mind is an Unhappy Mind, showed that when people were mind wandering, they were notably less happy than when they were paying attention to what they were doing. And we replicated this finding. Again, the way they do this is you carry a smartphone and it pings you just now and asks you just now, were you mind wandering and how happy are you? And we replicated that basic finding, but we also asked them about the quality of their mind wandering. And in particular, how interesting was what you were mind wandering about? And although we found that overall, when people were mind wandering, they were less happy than when they were on task. If they were mind wandering about something they were especially interested in, they're actually happier than when they were on task. So this um, this goes back to, uh, you know, little Jonathan in first grade, uh, totally preoccupied yet completely content. I was mind wandering about stuff that I was really interested in. And, and as an absent minded professor that, you know, I'm mind wandering about mind wandering. Um, and so if you can find interesting topics that you're really curious to mind wander about, it seems to have a, a different uh, relationship to, to well-being. 
we found that curious mind wandering, I mean, people are mind wandering about topics, that questions that they have uh, yet to figure out a solution for, that curious mind wandering is associated with creativity. And that in fact, creative writers are more likely to engage in curious mind wandering on days in which they report having a creative advances. So we've called this curious mind wandering, mind wondering, uh, and suggest that that may be a particularly helpful kind of mind wandering and maybe one that people should try to cultivate. Do you think there's a way to cultivate that through meditation as well? Like I know sometimes for myself in like a deep meditation practice, I go to very curious places or have some found ideas for things. Yeah, uh, I, I think so. Um, there is a... Um, uh, a, a major mindfulness researcher, uh, Judson Brewer, who his view is that that mindfulness is all about curiosity, that that basically when you're engaging in mindfulness, you're curiously inspecting uh, your experience. You're taking a stance of, oh, look at my breath. Oh, look at this. Look at that. Just really, really just being curious. And, and I do think that that... Um, can be helpful. I, I don't know if people necessarily always med always engage in mindfulness in that way, but I think that kind of curious mindfulness may be uh, very helpful. There's also a kind of meditation known as open monitoring, where you're just watching your thoughts arise. You're using the the thoughts themselves as the anchor, and there is some evidence that that open monitoring meditation may be associated with uh, with creativity. And um, uh, we find that it's possible to cultivate interesting mind wandering in actually a very simple way, which is when you are, for example, reading, if you ask, if you imagine the questions that you would ask, hey, Zen, if you cultivate, um, sorry, there's a bird on my shoulder and he just bit me, just for those who can't see me, if you cultivate uh, a, a stance of question asking all the time, you know, even as you're listening to me, imagine what questions uh, you might want to ask, that that stance seems to lead to a general interest curiosity, which then carries over even after the task is over and leads to more interesting mind wandering. So uh, I think mindfulness particularly mindfulness that is grounded in curiosity can be very helpful. But I think other things can also cultivate uh, this positive kind of mind wondering, and in particular, just developing a habit of, of imagining questions. Yeah, I think we've touched a lot on what we wanted to talk about. Um, thank you so much. Um, I know I'm gonna take some of these lessons into my own personal practice. Uh, and definitely the creative side of mindfulness. Um, do you know of any specific meditations that include kind of this creative um, kind of outlook? You already mentioned open monitor awareness. Um, yeah, do you know of any others by any chance? Um, well, I don't know of any others um, off the right off hand, but what I would say is that I think that one of the ways to further uh, cultivate mind wandering is to do two things. Uh, first, just pay attention 
to topics that you find really interesting to think about, uh, you know, podcasts that you uh, enjoyed, a class uh, that you, you're finding interesting, um, something you've read, uh, uh, thinking about particular kinds of memories, maybe thinking about gratitude. Find topics that you find gen genuinely intriguing to think about. And then um, when you catch your mind wandering, uh, just reflect on, oh, is this is this a helpful, do, how do I feel about this as a topic? Um, do I want to continue it? Or maybe this is a good opportunity to, to think about black holes or whatever, uh, dreams or whatever it is that you find um, especially um, interesting. So, so sort of creating a mind-wandering list of topics that you uh, enjoy uh, thinking about and then fueling those with you know, reading with uh, listening to informative podcasts to to give to sort of fertilize those uh, intriguing ideas, I think, uh, can be uh, very helpful. And then I think also do open monitoring meditation and watch what ideas uh, spontaneously arise. And maybe you'll discover, you know, yet new uh, topics that are, are helpful. So the, the two things is one sort of creating a list of topics that you find intriguing to mind wander about. And the second is, and this is very related to mindfulness, cultivating what I call meta-awareness, which is your explicit knowledge of what's going on in your mind at any particular moment. So, and we all, anyone who's meditated knows this, you know that you can with, have every intention to be focusing on your breath and yet realize that your mind has been chattering along for some period of time without thinking about breath at all. Or another case, this is one of my favorites, you're reading and you have every intention of paying attention to what you're reading. And yet you realize at some moment, your eyes have been moving across the page and your mind has been uh, completely elsewhere. So meta-awareness is that moment of realization. Oh, I was mind wandering instead of paying attention to the reading. And one helpful thing about meta-awareness is it can help us to go, oh, I need to focus back on the reading. But sometimes say if you're, uh, mind wandering in a while driving and you notice yourself mind wandering but you're on a really you know nice clear empty stretch of highway you could just think oh well I'm mind wandering about this worry and there's really nothing I can do about that uh let's let me think about some other topic that I would find uh more interesting to think about and so using the meta awareness to redirect your mind wandering into more mind wandering territory is there a specific way of cultivating this awareness? Because I know sometimes it can be hard to even notice that you are doing that. Guess what? Meditation, right? That's <laughs> one of the things that meditation does because it's hard to hold your focus on your breath, right? It, the breath is not necessarily the most intrinsically uh, grabby um uh, uh, phenomena to to focus on so the mind is like oh i want to go here oh i want to go there so your mind constantly wanders when you're meditating and so that helps to train you to develop meta-awareness to notice it so the the practice of meditation really does two things it it helps you to hold your attention on the anchor so you're less likely to wander in the first place but it also helps you to notice when your mind does wander to bring it back and that second part is very helpful for cultivating that awareness yeah definitely 
Um, I'd like to end on like kind of a fun personal question. I'm curious, maybe one of your favorite times that you've mind wandered and like something you've come up with from that scenario. Hmm. Well, um, there's a area that um, I love to uh, walk walk around. It's the uh, the Douglas uh, Preserve, uh, which is right by Hendry's Beach. I totally recommend people um, taking a trip there. It has a combination of um, uh, beautiful forest and breathtaking uh, ocean views, and it's got this uh, circle where you can just loop and loop uh, and loop. Uh, and but at any time you can sort of head head back down. It's not not that long. So I find that it is a uh, it's a wonderful uh, place for me to to go and just uh, let my uh, my mind uh, wander. And uh, when when I've been there, um, I've had uh, many ideas uh, about about mind wandering uh, and about. Uh, the uh, the nature of uh, aha experiences itself. Uh, one of the things that um, I'm very interested in is the possibility that ahas, when you have an aha, it can be informative, but it can actually also be uh, problematic and that you can have an aha and that might lead you to think something was true when it wasn't. And so I, uh, while mind wandering, uh, walking uh, in this loop, I had some uh, significant insights about the nature of, of false ahas, sort of, a, which which themselves may have been uh, false, ironically, uh, also. But but some of them seem to be true. For example, we find that if you induce a false aha, or if you induce an aha, can lead people to believe things are true that um, that aren't necessarily. So if we give people an anagram. Uh, which is uh, where you give the word kangaroo, but it's in an anagram form. So they get the anagram for kangaroo and then keeps growing until it dies. And, and then they have to solve the anagram uh, and then make a judgment about uh, whether or not it's true. If they solve the anagram and have an aha experience, they're more likely to think it's true, regardless of whether or not it is relative to if you just give them the word uh, outright. So the false, they're basically getting an aha about the identity of the word, and then they're misattributing that to the truthiness of, of the claim. And this even works with um, worldviews. So if you give people the um, statement, free will is an, and then illusion is in, um, in an anagram form, they're more likely to say, yes, uh, that's true. So you can actually, you can get a false aha, which leads people to change their beliefs about what you would think would be absolutely fundamental uh, metaphysical views. So that's the kind of idea that um, I've experienced while um, doing my walk on the Douglas Preserve Loop. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, those are all the questions I came up with, unless you have anything left to add. No, that was all great. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. That was really informative. That was my pleasure.